Today we're continuing in our series, Songs to Return to. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 126 together. It was probably written uh, following God's people's return from exile in Babylon, uh, following King Cyrus's decree that God's people could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It was probably written by Ezra himself. As God's people gathered to worship in Jerusalem, this song was a reminder that however bleak the circumstances, God could restore their fortunes. This is a psalm for troubled times when we need real hope. It's a psalm for today. So let's read Psalm 126 together. This is what it says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. A few weeks ago, uh, I was helping Annie in the kitchen and uh, I was doing some washing up and uh, there was a hot ceramic uh, dish that we've had for some years and it's had hairline cracks in it for a long time. And uh, as I was uh, taking it out of uh, water where it had been cooling down and I lifted it up to clean it, it literally shattered in my hands. You see, the truth is, things eventually break if they're kept under pressure. That includes us. This last year has put us all under intense stress. Now, as restrictions are being lifted, we're seeing the evidence of brokenness all around us. There's a deterioration in people's mental health. People are feeling anxious, worried, fearful. People's physical health has been impacted. There are numbers of people who are struggling with long COVID. People's spiritual health has been impacted. There are people whose faith has been rocked through this season and their walk with God has really struggled. The pressure has uh, damaged relationships where there had been hairline cracks before and now those relationships are, are starting to deteriorate. Once thriving businesses are now teetering on the edge and the list goes on. I don't know if you've seen uh, the TV series The Repair Shop. In it, uh, people bring uh, loved items, things that they've had in their family for years, heirlooms, that have been damaged and need restoring. And I remember watching one uh, particular uh, program and someone brought in a, uh, it was a, it was a light, uh, it was a light 
shade that was a beautiful glass light shade that had been dropped and shattered and it was in multiple pieces. And the person put the pieces in the bag and they brought, uh, after some years, brought this bag in to the experts in the hope that they could repair it. And literally you looked at it and thought, that can never be restored. And the uh, expert did an amazing job until in the end it was repaired and it was as good as new. Psalm 126 is telling us that if we are experiencing brokenness, we need to come to God who is the expert restorer. Psalm 126 tells us that the one responsible for restoring people's fortunes, bringing them out of captivity, was the Lord. Even though King Cyrus made the decree, it was the Lord working behind the signs, work, uh, 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 behind the scenes, working in King Cyrus's heart, changing his heart, uh, and bringing about their restoration. Working behind the scenes in this world and in our lives is the Lord. He is Jehovah, Yahweh. He is the eternal God, the almighty God. He is the only one who can change our circumstances, the one who can truly restore us. God is in the restoration business. We're told twice in the Psalms that it was God who restored the fortunes of his people. Throughout the Bible, God takes flawed and damaged people and he puts them back together. He puts them back better than they were before. And so we read of Abraham, who we read in Joshua that he came from a family of moon worshippers in Ur of the Chaldees. And God takes this man who is far from God and restores him, makes him into a friend of God, we read. We read of Moses, who as a young man, uh, was a self-imposed leader of God's people. He tries to lead God's people out of his own strength and it doesn't work and he ends up having to run away broken and damaged. And God restores him and God brings him back and he becomes a humble leader. The Bible says he was the, he's the most humble man who ever lived. We read of Paul in the New Testament. And Paul was uh, a man who was a, 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 a zealot, a, a religious Jew who hated God's people and went around trying to destroy God's people, to destroy the church. God meets him on the Damascus Road and in a moment encounters him and changes him and, uh, and restores this broken man and makes him into a man who rather than destroy churches, goes around planting churches. Many of us have experienced similar kindness and grace from God. It is God who restores our fortunes. Today, do we need restoring? Are we feeling broken inside? Is our relationship with God fractured? Are our relationships with those around us damaged by what's been happening? 
Have we lost hope? The psalmist is telling us that we need to know, first of all, that God's grace is amazing. You see, God's people were uh, in Babylon getting their just desserts. They'd abandoned worshipping God. And then God does something astounding. He brings them home. Not because they'd started behaving. He did it just because he loved them. It was unmerited. It was undeserved. It was God's grace. God's grace is amazing. I was reading uh, the story of the great hymn, Amazing Grace, and it was written by John Newton. And John Newton was a captain of a, of a ship, a sailing ship. He was immoral. Uh, he was profane. He was known by his colleagues on the ship as the great blasphemer. He was a slave trader. And yet this man encountered the grace of God on the 21st of March in 1748 in a terrible storm. Everybody on the ship thought that the ship was going to be lost. And in that moment, as he called out to God, God showed him mercy. And as a result, John Newton became a minister and wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. At the end of his life, on the 21st of March, 1805, John Newton wrote in his diary, 57 years from that first incident, I'm not well able to write, but I endeavour to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer and praise. All those years on, John Newton was still amazed by the grace of God to him. So why does the psalmist start uh, this psalm with when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people? Why does he say when and not if? The psalmist wants us to know that God is always gracious. It's who he is. In Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 we read of God that he is the Lord who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. The word Lord, Yahweh, means eternal or always. And so God is always gracious. The psalmist says that experiencing his grace is like being in a dream. For the writer, the turnaround was so incredible, it was almost unbelievable. And we read of incidents like that throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, we read of Peter in prison awaiting execution. And in Acts chapter 12, we read he's fallen asleep in his cell. And in the night, an angel comes and wakes him and leads him out of the prison. And Peter is... Uh, he just thinks it's a vision. He thinks he's having a dream. He can't believe what's happening. And then he finds himself outside the prison. He realizes it's all been true. The amazing grace of God. We read of Thomas who 
here's the other disciples coming and saying, we've seen the Lord. He's, he's been resurrected. Uh, he was dead. Now he's alive. And Thomas says, I won't believe until I put my fingers in the wounds in his hands and his side. Thomas is, he can't believe it's, it. It seems like a, what he's hearing is so overwhelming. My own testimony is this. I have seen such grace from God when I didn't deserve it. There have been moments I look back and I think, it feels like it was a dream. Because it was so amazing what God did for me that he should so show such mercy to me. You see, experiencing God's grace in our brokenness should always provoke joy and shouts of praise. It was Thomas Watson, the 17th century Puritan preacher, who said this, We pour out our tears and God pours in his joy. Have we experienced the grace of God? If we have, are we still overwhelmed with joy? Are we still able to say about our faith that God has done great things for us despite the circumstances we find ourselves in? If we can't, can I suggest that we're not dreaming, we've fallen asleep and it's time for us to wake up, to stir ourselves and awake. A good test of of what's happening in our lives is what those around us say about our faith. You see, these people uh, in the community around them, people around them were saying, the Lord has done great things for them. People saw that God had done something in their lives that had transformed them. What do people say about us? What do our family members say about us? That we're just down and grumpy? Or do they say in the midst of it, I saw the vibrancy of their faith there, so put in their trust in God. People should see the difference that Jesus has made to our lives. And you know, if we've never experienced the grace of God, we can do that today. God wants us to be free from every chain and burden. He sent Jesus for us that we would know his great love for us, demonstrated when Jesus died on the cross on our behalf. The amazing grace of God is that he is just a prayer away from each of us. God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing because God does great things. Now, I have a little bit of a selective memory on occasions. And there are moments when God has to remind me of things that he's done. When things are not going well, there's a danger I slip into. It's not fair. God, why did you do that? And God has to remind me of all the things that he's done in my life, the good things that he's done, the times he's answered prayer, the times he's been there when I thought that he wasn't. You see, the psalmist is telling us that the answer is simple. He is encouraging God's people. He's encouraging us to remember what God has done for us in the past. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. The Lord had done great things for us. The psalmist is saying, look to the past. Look at what God's done in the past for you. 
You know, if we don't have any great stories of God's grace to us in the past, then maybe we haven't properly experienced it. You see, focusing on all that he's done provokes prayer. And that's the, where the psalmist goes. He goes into a place of prayer. He says, restore our fortunes, Lord. It's as though he goes from reflecting backwards. Suddenly he leaps forward and says, so on the basis of that, God, restore our fortunes. Just thinking about the good old days is nostalgia. God's faithfulness in our past should stir us to pray. If we feel broken, if we're struggling with our emotions, if we need help in these days, I want to encourage us to look back at what God has done in our lives, the good things he's done, look at the amazing grace of God to us and pray. In Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 it says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, repeat them in our day. Focusing on what God's done stirs us to pray, but it also stirs faith. Because God has done it before, faith rises in our hearts that God can do it again. I was reading this week about a group of American theology students who came to England in 1940. They came to visit sites of revivals. They came to look at what God had done in the past. They came to revisit sites of God's faithfulness in the past where God had moved as a result of prayer and many people had come to faith. And this uh, uh, group went to the Epworth Rectory. It was a place where John Wesley had prayed for revival to sweep over England. As the bus was about to leave, one student was missing. They found him kneeling where John Wesley would have knelt. And they heard him praying this. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again through me. His name was Billy Graham. And a number of years later, Billy Graham saw an amazing move of God as God's faithfulness was shown again and many people came to faith. What about us? Do we need to see the faithfulness of God at work in our lives? Then let me encourage you, go back to what God has done. Get on your knees and cry out to him, in faith, God, come and break through again in my life. For us as a church, that's our cry. God, you have moved in the past. We are looking for you to move in these next days. We're looking for you to pour out your spirit and reach many new people for Christ. We want to see God's kingdom come in these days. The third thing I want us to notice is this, that God brings good out of our grief. The Psalms often express raw, heartfelt emotion, and sometimes it makes for really uncomfortable reading. 
But, you know, God has no problem with us expressing our joy, our sorrow, our anger, our frustration, or even our despair. He loves our honesty. He's never surprised by how we're feeling because he already knows what's going on in our hearts. God is not phased by our grieving, but how we handle it. It's why the psalm gives us two analogies to show how God restores our fortunes. The first is that God can turn our fortunes around suddenly. See, the first analogy he uses, he talks about God restoring our fortunes like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert area in the south of Israel. Many years ago, I went to Beersheba, and we went to the edge of the Negev, and I remember standing looking over. I've got photographs of it. It's barren hills, ravines. There's nothing green growing. And yet, despite the fact that it's barren and mountainous, and it's almost desert-like, when the rains come and the rains pour down on the Negev, suddenly, overnight, it can be transformed by flowers and greenery sprouting up literally within hours. It's a reminder that God can re, uh, restore our fortunes suddenly. We read in uh, Acts chapter 16 of Paul in prison with Silas and they're in the inner cell, they're in stocks, they're singing hymns to God, they're worshipping God in the midst of that moment and uh, it all seems uh, grim for them. Then suddenly we read there's an earthquake, their chains fall off and everything turns around in that moment and as a result a church is planted. God can turn our circumstances around can restore our brokenness make us whole suddenly in a moment but also God can do it slowly and surely and the second analogy is one of sowing and reaping this is what the psalmist says though who those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Sowing and reaping is long-term. It involves a process. We won't reap unless we have sown beforehand. The psalm is telling us when everything is going wrong, when we're experiencing sorrow and we feel broken, we need to sow seed. The tears won't produce a harvest. It's the seed that produces it. The seed is our praise, our prayers, and our faith. And it's the hardest thing to do when we feel broken, uh, disappointed, when we feel in despair. Sowing when things are not going well is hard and it involves effort. And it often involves us sowing in tears. How do we do that? Well, we need to sow our seed. We don't throw it away. Tim Keller says that we can grieve in such a way that produces no fruit in our lives. 
What does he mean? We, he means that we need to intentionally sow in the midst of our grief and sorrows by turning to worship God. Praying for help in the midst of our grief and pain. Looking to God in the circumstances. That's what it means to sow in tears. When we simply offload our grief, we're literally dumping it. We're literally throwing our seed on the ground. We're missing an opportunity to find help in God. We need to be those who deliberately sow, not throw. Because God wants to bring good out of our grief and sorrows. You see, as we sow, we see God break through for us. And this points us to Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus has brought us joy out of his grief. In Isaiah 53 verses 3 and 4, It tells us that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and that he bore our sorrows and griefs on the cross. Jesus died for us and his body was sown into the ground like a seemingly dead seed. And yet from his death and subsequent resurrection has come salvation for all who put their trust in him. God's grace is Amazing. God does great things. So what good does God want to come out of our grief? He wants to help us as we grieve in the situations we find ourselves in. When we're battling with brokenness, whether that's mentally, physically, spiritually, whether that's in our circumstances, looking to Jesus is the only answer. You see, fixing our eyes on Jesus is the only antidote to self-pity and anguish. Because when we do this, we recognize that God knows what it is to suffer. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we no longer need to battle with guilt at the mistakes we've made that have resulted in the circumstances maybe we find ourselves in. Because we see in Jesus one who has dealt with all our guilt. And that's why Paul can say there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lastly, looking to Jesus helps us suffer in patience. Not impatiently, but in patience. Ultimately, trusting God through our suffering brings good because it makes us more like Jesus. God wants to help us as we grieve in the situations we find ourselves in so that we can help others. He helps us so that we can help others. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. And I'm going to finish with this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If we have received no comfort from our troubles from God, how can we help anyone else? 
God wants us to be a people who know what it is to receive his help in these days. And if we're feeling broken, we come to the one who is the expert restorer who makes us like new. There's a beautiful picture um, that you will have heard in recent months of pottery that gets broken. And uh, in, uh, in Japan, what people have, have had done was they take the broken bits of the pottery and they, they join them back together with gold. And so uh, when the piece is restored, it is more beautiful than you could ever imagine and running through it are bits of gold and and God wants to do that with us in the midst of our brokenness in this season he wants us to be a people who come to him he wants us to put us back together the expert restorer and he wants the amazing grace of God to be uh, uh, running through our lives that people see it and are amazed at the goodness of God and the wonder of what Jesus has done for us Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace to us. Thank you that you have poured out grace upon grace. Thank you that we have encountered Jesus Christ, your son given for us. Now our past is dealt with, our future is secure. Father, thank you that you have done great things in our lives. And Father, we bring our circumstances to you we bring our brokenness to you we bring our all our needs to you knowing that you are the one who can make us as good as new and we ask you by the work of your spirit in our lives would you mend us restore us put us back together living god restore our fortunes in these days Restore our fortunes and restore the fortunes of your church in this land. Amen.